It's been a terrible week for the Victoria Police, which tragically lost four of its members. Senior Constable Lynette Taylor, Senior Constable Kevin King, Constable Glenn Humphreys, and Constable Josh Presney. All of them died doing their job, protecting and looking after us. On behalf of all the Essendon Football Club, its players and staff, fans, members, and the entire Bomber community, we send our condolences to the family and friends and the colleagues of these brave officers. We dedicate this program to all who knew them and loved them and all at Victoria Police. And welcome, Bomber fans. Welcome to the Essendon community for a fourth episode of Working Through It with Adam White to introduce things and then the big guns coming in with Xavier Campbell, James Hurd and also Joe Watson. It is a very, very important episode of Working Through It because John Worsfold, the senior Essendon footy coach, will join us and we'll be taking your calls. So you can give us a call on 1300 652 That number again, 1300 652 And you can send some text messages through as well, 0416 90 50 52. Or you can send a tweet and all you've got to do is hashtag 4x5pod and uh, we'll get to as many of those throughout the show. So that's at about 4.30 uh, if you are listening to this live. So uh, I'll tell you a little bit later on when to jump on the phone and give us a call, one three hundred six five two nine two seven. Not just John Worsfold, but also Martin Bakula, who is the State Minister for Sport, Racing and Major Events. He'll join us very shortly. Uh, there's plenty to talk to Martin Bakula about. He is a Carlton supporter, which is a bit of an issue, but I'm sure the boys will get uh, plenty of good stuff out of Martin shortly. So let's uh, introduce the guys and We'll start with the CEO of the Essendon Football Club, Xavier Campbell. Xavier, welcome. As I'm looking at you through Zoom, I can see it's it's a bit dark where you are. It just shows the nights are, are coming a bit closer than normal, and uh, it's a pretty it's, gloomy day outside. That's very true, Whitey. It's got a, it's got a bit ugly out here at the hangar. Um, it's been a sort of I think we're coming we're changing seasons pretty quickly now, aren't we? We're moving to the next phase of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, James Hurd uh, joins us as well uh, behind his uh, impressive bookshelf, as we see every week. Uh, Hurdy, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Whitey. And uh, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to having Martin Bakula on the show and talking to him all about how the government's handling coronavirus, but uh, more importantly, um, the question around uh, obviously where he was in 93 when uh, Michael Long <laughs> kicked that goal. And less importantly, which I'm sure he'll bring up, is where he was in 1999 when uh, Fraser Brown tackled uh, Dean Wallace. But, you know, 
um, I think it's going to be fascinating to hear Martin McCullough's perspective on not just sport but on the whole virus and also really looking forward to having John on the show and, and talking about where the club's at from a playing point of view. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, around about sort of 25 minutes from now we'll have uh, John on taking your calls. But if you want to send a text message in now, you can 0416 90 50 52 is probably the, the easiest way uh, to get that live interaction. You can send them through now and I'll try and feed them through uh, once uh, John joins uh, working through it. But uh, Joe Watson, he completes the trio as uh, per normal. Joe, I'll hand it over to you. Away you go. Thanks, Whitey, and um, and looking forward to, to speaking to our guests um, today. And um, Xavier, just touching on you know those ominous clouds out there at um, at the hangar. <laughs> I, I tell you what, it was it was more on, ominous when we were doing warm ups um, and the smell of the Bay Marie and the. Uh, the sausage rolls and things like that in the old um, area that we used to be warming up before the hangar was actually built, Herdy. I know you remember uh, what we used to be doing, back rolls on this uh, carpet that had not been replaced since the 1940s. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was putting um, your health and well-being in, uh, in a little bit of jeopardy uh, doing those warm-ups in that little social area that we had in the cow paddock before everything had been um, built out there. <laughs> Absolutely, Joe. The uh, the sticky floor from the bar the night before, and the smell of decaying beer was, um, was was not a great way for you guys to warm up. But um, it is what it is. But um, well, well said earlier too, Joe, uh, with the state police. I thought you it was very well said, and um, I'm glad you you led the show off uh, that way. Yeah, and obviously it's it's. Um... It's a very difficult time for everyone in society, but when something tragic like that happens to people who, um, you know, are serving the community, um, it, it, I think it really uh, hits home to everyone. And um, you know, I, I think that everyone, no matter what club you support or, or where you are in society, that um, you certainly feel for the families and and friends of those people who are just um, doing their job and protecting the rest of us. So, um, bit of a, a somber way to start the the show, but um, looking forward to to talking to the people. Um, today and and also heard you looking forward to finding out what happened with steps 21st from last week oh well it was uh, it was a big event um all six of us uh, at the <laughs> event and um yeah it was sort of uh look the the karaoke that was sung about 10 p.m i think was very good till the microphone hit my hand and uh, <laughs> i was very surprised that there were no um police called to that, uh, that event because the, the strangled cat sound that went out around the suburb was um, was quite uh, was quite dramatic. But no, look, I think as good as a, a day could be, spending your 21st with your parents, um, yeah, it was, it was great for Steph to turn 21. But I mean, what could you wish upon a poor girl than spend 21st with the parents? But anyway, that that's what it was. But uh, our household's been. Um, yeah, I think like every other household, it's another week down, another week closer to normality, and it feels like uh, we're getting getting a little bit closer. And you know, obviously, with Martin talking about it, but Xavier, I think the the big topic um, for this week is 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 the return to play um, in your life. It must mm. uh, sounds like the meetings over the last three or four days have been very interesting and a lot of information to impart to our supporters. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Just just before we do that, I'm assuming your go-to was like Mustang Sally or something like that. Was that where you sort of spent your time on Friday night? Well, I do know that my 16-year-old has got a couple of videos floating around on his phone, so he's been threatened with, uh, with death if they ever, ever see the light of day. But uh, no, very impressive. Um, very impressive by the rest of the you family. Were. Some... No, I can promise you I wasn't. I was about as impressive as... Uh... Actually, Joe, you've got some good dance moves, haven't you, on video somewhere? I'm not... Xavier, can we get on to something serious? Otherwise, this could descend into something really, really poor. Um, no, but... 
back to your, back to your initial question. It has it has felt like uh, it's been a big week this week. Obviously, we're only into Wednesday, but it feels like this is of, of all the past sort of four or five weeks in this really strange time. This week has felt like the biggest week so far. It feels like there definitely feels like there's some momentum building. Obviously, um, if you think about the three different phases that we've sort of been in, that first phase was really around sort of financial stability and shoring up a lot of the. The, the back end stuff like around our, you know, the players deal was done the clubs deal with the AFL was done working really close with our partners to sort of um, you know to reduce our costs and get back to a to a manageable level into now the two areas of return to play in the future of the game and that return to play is sort of it's definitely picked up we had a we had a, a call, conference call yesterday uh, with our leadership group into a call with the entire playing group into a call with um, the entire football department where we started to talk about the pivotal dates that we're going to see over the next little period that will help the AFL shape their announcement for the week beginning the 11th of May. Um, you know, we we'd previously probably thought we were going to get a bit more of an update this week, but clearly the AFL's objective is to be lockstep with, with government and also the medical uh, advisors, which is absolutely understandable and entirely appropriate. Um, so we've we, uh, we've we've advised our players that we we want them to be back in Melbourne um, on the 11th of May, um, and then we've also given them some indications around when we sort of think that training may resume and when we think playing may resume. Um, and clearly, before all of that, the the chief medical officers will meet this Friday. A big agenda item there will be talking about what return to play looks like for the professional codes and also community sport. And then um, the National Cabinet meeting on Sunday the 10th of May um, where we will start to sort of truly understand the views there around what bringing back and clawing back social distancing restrictions looks like and, and its impact on, um, on the AFL return to play. And Xavier, you were very confident in your opinion uh, the first show that we were coming back to play in July. You know, you put that date out there. There we go. Are you still, um, <laughs> are you still as confident in that date or are you, you, you're moving on that? Well, very confident. Well, I, was, I was backed into a corner and I, uh, and I let down my guard. Uh, well, no, it's, I, on, the, on the basis that, that we can continue as a society to, and I think, you know, I think it was a society. We've, I've been so impressed by how, how disciplined we have been in generally speaking, in following the social distancing measures. Like a, and you can see that in the results that we're achieving so far. And hopefully if that can continue and, you know, there's, there's that little period left until that week beginning the 11th, if we can continue doing that and continue flattening the curve and the community transmission within uh, society continues to drop, then we put ourselves in a really position, really good position to, to look at starting football in, in June, July, yeah, absolutely. And it's a good question for Martin. Obviously, he would, uh, he would have access to a lot more information than I do. But I do feel pretty confident that um, all things considered, we're progressing pretty well. And, and Xavier, um, in terms of returning back to footy and what it looks like, it, I mean, it's really been very topical about the hubs and, and what that looks like. And, and we saw, um, you know, Bucks um, made commentary today about... Uh, you know, not being really practical or the the costs of having, you know, 20-week hubs in isolation and and things like that. I suppose from your side of things where you've got a a much better understanding of the finances, especially of the club, perhaps not as much of the the entirety of the AFL, if if the players came back and pushed back and said, look, we just can't see um, this hub system working, what do you think that means for the, the game? If they say, look, we can't 
we can't work under these conditions. Um, they're too strict and, and the consequences are too large. If there's no games being played, what do you think the, the macro of those consequences are? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll stop sort of saying it was, it'd be catastrophic, but it'd be, it'd be truly significant in the sense that, um, you know, the game as a whole in indefinite stand-down or at least, you know, until, until social distancing and measures and, and essentially a vaccine was, was acquired, like that's essentially, it's a, it's a pretty significant outcome from a financial perspective. I think you ta- if you take it back a step, though, like clearly, um, you know, and I've read some of the commentary today and, and, and again, the whole hubs concept, you know, we are very much at arm's length, the clubs. I think the, the AFL is in discussions, and I think it's a really important word, discussions. They're not, they're not, in, a, they're not in, a, in disagreement. They're not in, in negotiation. They are in discussions with the AFLPA around, around what a hub, hub concept might look like. And, and a hub concept, and, and anyone will t- who's been through crisis or issues management will talk to the fact that it is integral to, to plan for the worst possible outcome, and that would be you know, social distancing not reduced, a potential second wave coming through, and that's essentially what the AFL has looked to try and create as a platform an open platform for discussion, a hubs concept that we, we could potentially use to, to get our season started. But in reality, you know, where we are in six weeks' time when the hubs become you know, matter-of-fact and actual is going to be very, very different to where it sits now. This is my personal. I'm probably talking more personally now. Like, where were we six weeks ago? We, we, were, we weren't even at round one. We, we, had, we were preparing to play Fremantle. We hadn't stood down staff. We hadn't reshaped our business, and there was so much that we've done from then until now. So it, it sort of makes you wonder where will we be in six weeks' time? And Martin might be able to provide some insight into that. But I'd imagine if we can continue to be disciplined, continue to to do what's required of us by government, and download the app to best position us to deal with any potential outbreaks. Yeah, I mean, we may be at a point where the, the hubs, in what we're sort of reading about right now, they'll be a much more diluted format. And that's that's a that's a potential that's a that's a probability. It's a, that's a, sorry, that's a that's a potential possibility. So um, yes, we want our people to feel absolutely comfortable. That is an absolute priority. I, I don't think at any point of this anyone would say if someone didn't feel comfortable, then when then they wouldn't be required to go in. Um, but we want to make have that perspective that we know that. Um, it's going to be the AFL is going to work really close with the AFLPA to to reach a really comfortable solution for all parties. Xavier, how much of a compromise would you have to make to play games, though? If if it came to the situation where there were either games being played and there was finances coming into the game, or there were no games and no finances, yeah. I mean, eventually you're going to have to make a decision one way or the other. Yeah, it's um, you know that's. Without being too specific, we've done we've done some modelling on that, and it's um, you know it's it's reshaping how this game looks in a big big way. You know, I, I don't want to say something that's going to be sound too provocative or that's going to create too many headlines. And they had heard he said your your question is very similar to the way James did it in, in episode one, where you pushed me into the corner, and I feel like I'm going to create some headline out of this, and I definitely don't want to do that. But I mean, the simple maths is. It's pretty straightforward. Like we would be reshaping our entire business. What it would mean for our headcount is, yeah, I just don't know. What it would mean for the way that we actually uh, the game progresses into the future. We know it will change now um, for the forever, but that would be serious macro step change if that was the case. 
Well, Xavier, we're going to save you because I think um, we have on the line the Victorian State Minister for Sport before uh, uh, Martin Bacola. Martin, are you uh, on the line? Thank you for joining us, if you are. Oh, I am. I've been listening, I've been listening with interest. <laughs> so, Martin, Xavier, Xavier was meant to throw... I never thought I'd be on an Essendon podcast, I can tell you. <laughs> well, we, we worked out before the show, Martin, that Xavier was going to throw the first question um, to you. But there was, one question, there was two questions we wanted to ask you firstly before we jump into the seriousness of the situation. Yeah. Um, 1993 grand final, when Michael Long kicked that goal, where were you as a Carlton supporter? <laughs> oh, I was definitely at the ground. I, I, I'm trying to remember. I, I, I normally can remember where I was sitting. I think, I think I might have been in the Ponsford stand, so I would have been uh, right above it, and and that would be right because there's no doubt Silvani touched it. Like, just no doubt at all. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. So you were close enough to see that it was touched. That's perfect that every Carlton supporter at the ground was. And then was 99 prelim. When, when Harmsy hit the ball back in 79, so I saw that too. And, <laughs> and 99 prelim, where were you when Fraser Brown tackled uh, Dean, uh, the poor old Dean Wallace? I, 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 was, I was near enough to sort of um, what, what we used to call Bay 13. Uh, I was sitting there with, with a mate of mine. Um, and uh, I, I just remember when the siren went, he... he, he he, like he injured me, like he tackled me that hard out, out of excitement that he injured me, and and it's true, you know, you hear all these Carlton supporters say, oh, we didn't really care what happened next week. That's to- totally true, uh, you know. Like everyone was going, oh, well, we win the grand final, or we don't. Doesn't matter. We knocked the bombers out, and and, and had had we known that we wouldn't be in another grand final again from then till now, we might have had it. We might have been a little bit more intense about. Um, you know, about the grand final as it was, but we were just so excited about winning the prelim. Um, probably shouldn't have been. <laughs> <laughs> now, Martin, we'll, we'll get back to we'll get back to talking about the Carl, the fierce Carlton and Essendon rivalry. But thank you very much for for coming on the on, on to talk to us because it's actually yeah, it's a perfect time. You're probably about three or four minutes too late to be honest because it's sort of as Joe was sort of jostling with me to push me in the corner. But I'm keen just to talk to you more broadly from a macro state perspective in terms of how you see the state progressing against managing the COVID-19. I said from the outset on the show, like, I just see we've been so disciplined and we sort of sense of pride in the way that we've been able to manage it to this point. And clearly we've still got work to do. But, like, how do you see from where it was six weeks ago when we first started to truly understand what this issue was and, and how big it could get to, to where we've got to now? Like, how would you summarise that? Oh, it's, it's been an exceptional performance from Victorians. Um, you know, pe- people, some people out there um, tend to think um, that the original uh, threat was overstated. I, I can tell you that the, the people who know what they're talking about were were seriously concerned about how bad it could get. And it wasn't just because of what's happened in New York or in Italy or in Spain. It's because the modelling tells you that um, this is a virus that's very, very easily transmissible, um, much more contagious than the flu, and it has a mortality rate of, you know, around 1% to 2%. And, you know, the, the, the maths of exponential growth tells you what the possibility was. If it got away, you could have had thousands of people needing hospitalisation very, very quickly. And the capacity of, you know, our system would have been uh, under just as much pressure as a lot of those hospital systems around the world where you've got more people that need ventilators than can get them. And very, very quickly, you'd have a high mortality rate. So um, huge concern. And the concern's not gone because uh, it doesn't take much for it to get away. 
uh, and we have got winter coming up. But one of the couple of weeks is this rapid scale up of testing, um, which will give us, I think, a much better picture of what the true, what you know, what the true numbers are. Now, the first couple of days we've seen. Uh, the number of new infections remaining very low. I, I did a press conference this morning where we announced that there were three new positives over the last 24 hours. That's, you know, they are numbers that other parts of the world would, you know, would, would beg and kill for. Um, and, and the fact is, you, you know, you have a lot of people who talk about, oh, well, we've got to prioritise the economy. And I, I, I said to a group of people last night, and I'll say it to, to the listeners on this show, that, you can't really trade off um, ec- economic survival and the health outcome. They are two sides of the same coin. I, I mean, imagine, you know, how do you think the economies of Italy and Spain and the UK and, you know, the USA are doing right now? Um, mm. the, the fact is that when this is all over and there's an enormously competitive race for business events, for tourists, for international students, for inflows of international capital, one of the things I think that will hold Australia in really good stead will be the fact that we're seen to have been a jurisdiction which managed the health impacts of this really well. And if if you turn the economy back on prematurely and the health impacts get out of it, you have to turn it off again. And I I think as much as people won't um, won't like the fact that they're confined to barracks and... Um, you know, not able to, to, to go about their normal life right now, uh, I think the thing that they would like even less would be an on-again, off-again situation. You mm. go back for a few weeks and you've got to, take, you know, put the foot back down. So, you know, I think a gradual, cautious stay, you know, we reopen a bit, we test, we make sure we're keeping it under control. And if, you know, and if a few weeks in that setting demonstrates that, you know, that we're still on track, then you might be able to do a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, and there'll yeah. be some things that don't go back to normal until either you've got um, a vaccine or you've eradicated it completely from the Australian continent. So, you know, there's a, a long road ahead of us. Yeah. So, to, so I mean, as a society, we're always quick to jump at government with advice or criticism, but, you know, I, I feel... I think you guys have done an amazing job of managing it to this point, and obviously there's still work to be done. But in six weeks' time, obviously we, we, we're probably looking to enter hubs and restart the AFL season. Like, what if we continue at the rate we are now in terms of the, the test level? The testing level has increased. Obviously, the hundred thousand over the next fortnight. We continue at the detection rate that we have now, and it continues to drop. Perhaps, like, where could we be in, in six weeks' time as a society when it comes to social distancing, for example? Um, I think if, you know, there's two big caveats. If the numbers stay low and if the Chief Health Officer determines this, um, so let me put those caveats on at the start without having to restate them all the time, um, I I think we might be able to see a a gradual relaxation of some of the the strictures that are in place right now. You made a really good point before I came on, which was that, you know, six weeks ago... Um, you know, we wouldn't have known that we'd be where we are now. And six weeks from now, it could be very different again. So it's worth remembering that really the thing that caused the AFL season to hit the pause button was the fact that states closed their borders, which made, you know, which which made travelling around and and playing football with any kind of national fixture impossible. 
Um, it, it's also, it's equally possible that six weeks from now those borders have been reopened. So talk about hubs as if they're almost a fait accompli. That, that, like they might be the only way that the AFL can start, but it's also possible that if borders reopen, if state and territory governments become more relaxed about people coming and going from their jurisdiction, uh, the options might be even broader than that. So mm. I just think we have to wait and see. Ultimately, you know, the AHPPC, I think, are meeting today. Uh, National Cabinet will, at some point in the next uh, few days, I think, have something to consider in terms of some protocols about return to play for both professional sport and community sport. Um, and that might create a framework where, um, you know, some of these decisions become easier. But the way I view it, you know, I, I think footy will recommence, um, you know, in the next couple of months or so. I think if it has to be uh, in hubs from a government point of view, we certainly think we can make that work, whether it works from a AFLPA point of view or a club point of view is obviously not a matter for us. But from a government point of view, we think we can make that work. Uh, and then, um, you know, from a and, and, and if it can be even more liberal than that, well, that I suspect would be a bonus. So, you know, I, th- I think all possibilities are on the table. From, you know, from at one end, the, the chief health officers are not comfortable with restarting, um, through to the other end of the spectrum where it's not out of the question that um, teams could, could could move around the country and follow something like a normal fixture. And Martin, um, I mean, AFL is obviously you know, very important for the, our listeners and, and everyone out there and everyone wants the game to get started again. As important, I think, for the My listeners and, and people, people in the community is, is local sport. I mean, local sport is the, the sort of the embodiment of the community for a lot of people, for kids, for families and for, even for, you know, for older people who are, who are playing the sport. What has to happen in Victoria before we see any sort of local sport start, or is it really unrealistic to think that in 2020 we're going to see local sport have any chance of coming back? No, I don't, I don't think it's unrealistic. I, I think I think there's a, a reasonably good prospect of it. Uh, and as I said, I think that the the work that the AHPPC and just for the for the kind of I shouldn't use acronyms. The Australian Health uh, Principles Protection Committee, which is basically the group of chief health officers get together and meet on a regular basis. So I think the protocols for return to play that they're looking at uh, would include both professional and community sports. So coming out of that, I think there might be a roadmap back to playing. I don't expect that it will be as, you know, laissez-faire as um, it would have been in the absence of coronavirus. But I think there'll be... I think it's likely not certain, but likely that there'll be a way that some forms of community sport with appropriate social distancing uh, and, and, and appropriate modifications might be able to proceed uh, some sometime in 2020. I certainly hope so. And Martin, in terms of um, people, spectators going to these, not only just um, community games, um, but also professional. Do you think that, that that is just going to be a bridge too far to to get supporters being able to go and watch sporting events in, in 2020? Oh, well, look, I think, you know, I, I, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's probably a big difference between, um, you know, th- two or three dozen parents um, standing around the, the boundary of the Black Rock Footy Club and, um, uh, uh, on the one hand, and 80,000 people 
in the G at the other. So I don't, you know, I don't think you can necessarily look at those things through the same lens. I think if the if the stay at home provisions are relaxed uh, and you're allowed to have um, more, you know, but you're allowed to be out and about more in the community, then it's conceivable that if you had community sport, you know, that a, a, a few parents could be dotted around the boundary line watching their kids play footy or something if, if that was going ahead. I think that's probably a bigger chance than having large numbers of people inside a stadium watching AFL. Uh, you know, I think just the, the magnitude of the uh, a, 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 of, a, of, of a big sporting crowd, the way that people are tightly bunched together in those crowds and the, the, the possibility of transmission in the absence of a vaccine, I think makes that a more difficult proposition. Do you think and, and the Mark, way the AFL has gone... Sorry, Herdy. Do you no, think the way the AFL has gone about... They've obviously... You know, and, and, and I feel like they've been really sound in their decision-making on this one. They've given themselves a really long runway to execute a season. Reducing it to 17 games quickly was a smart move. We've all felt that. And you contrast that to the NRL, who's looking to start really quickly. I'm not here to compare the two necessarily. But, you know, does that then, that runway, potentially give us that opportunity to, uh, if everything does go well, to bring those crowds back? Because obviously we, we all know how important our membership is. Like Membership is a lifeblood of our football club and, and if members didn't have access, it would be heartbreaking in so many respects. But you know, they, they support the club for a whole range of reasons. Access to a game is is one of those reasons for a lot of those members. Like, you know, you you will have seen it in the way you support Carlton. But um, does that potentially give us a, a a potential upside at the back end when you consider other sports? Just that runway that we've been able to create. Oh yeah, look, everything's possible, and the problem with. The problem with talking about the the, the, tra- the track of this virus with any certainty is, you know, trying to project anything four, five, six months ahead is, is is pretty difficult. I mean, it's possible but unlikely that in a few months' time there'll be a vaccine. I think it's actually really unlikely that there'd be a usable vaccine in that period of time. But I supp- I'm you know I- I'm not an epidemiologist. Anything I, I suppose it's possible. It's also possible that um, at some point. Uh, there's a degree of confidence that uh, the virus has been completely eradicated from the Australian continent. Again, that's, that's the you'd need to see literally zero new cases around the country for probably four before anyone had the confidence that that had happened. But but it's not impossible. So I suppose in those circumstances, the more runway you give yourself, the more possibility you create that might be in your future. Um, the other point, I, you know, so, so I think it's unlikely, but it's not impossible in, in, in short, Dave. Yeah. I think the other thing that's yeah. worth saying is the AFL, from my perspective, have handled themselves impeccably. Um, they've been incredibly respectful uh, of, the, uh, of, of the chief medical officer, not just here in Victoria, but, you know, but the dialogue they've had around the country with other states and with the Commonwealth. They've been very, very keenly aware, not just of um, what they uh, what they might be technically allowed to do, but in how the things that they do are perceived by the community. Uh, and I think um, the the AFL and the AFL clubs and AFL fans should be very pleased about the way that they've been led in in, in this um, in this period of time. Martin, there's a number of debates going on in households about you know whether schools should be reopened, whether they shouldn't be reopened, and I know that's outside your jurisdiction. But one of the big debates in households is should they download the the COVID Safe 
app, and as a it's a federal government decision. But from a from a state government position, is is this something that you guys fully support? And, and the, the the worries about you know cyber security and safety it, it's going on in our household. You know, two two divisions as you should um, download it or not. What's what's the state government's view on the the COVID Safe app, and and should people download it or not? Well, we support it because it gives us the best chance of getting back to something approaching the... Um, downloaded it, um, I think, downloaded uh, I'm satisfied that the, that the um, personal privacy uh, uh, data security processes are uh, sufficient. I can understand why people would be um, dubious about providing more information to, to anyone. But the fact is that, um, you know, there's a lot of personal information out there already. That You know, a lot a lot of people uh, answer uh, a- 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 answer quizzes on Facebook, which probably provides more personal information about themselves um, than this app ever will. Uh, and it is really the key to being able to um, get back to something approaching normality, to reopening business, uh, and to and and to having a, a good chance of being able to contain any outbreaks in the future, you know, on balance we support it, and I, I think people um, sh- should, you know, put their reservations about it aside. It's my own personal view, but as Greg Hunt says constantly, it's voluntary. No one has to download it. I've chosen to do so. And Martin, just just finally from me, in terms of. Um Victoria, if there was a, a hub situation, you're confident that um, the state would, would have one um, if, if it turned out that that was the best case moving forward? Well, as I said, su- subject to the views of the, of the Chief Health Officer, um, if there was going to be a hub situation, um, I'd certainly be supportive of Victoria being the location of one of them. I'm, I'm confident that we could uh, uh, provide a, a, a good, secure hub um, and the best possible uh, facilities for players and staff. So I'd be very hopeful that we would be the location of one of those hubs if that's the way the AFL chooses to go. Um, but, you know, so, so, so long as our, uh, our medical supremos say it's safe and that we're not uh, risking uh, the spread of the disease, then, then, then I would be uh, certainly uh, hopeful and confident that we would be a host for one of those hubs. Martin, um, thank you very much for uh, for coming on our podcast today. Normally, in our pre-production meeting yesterday, Job and James, they were going to go the jugular based on your Carlton allegiance and they've pulled back markedly I thought, I thought in, uh, from where we about, sort of thought... I thought you were going to ask me about how the rivalry began in my, in my household. <laughs> <laughs> well, one, 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 it would be good to get your closing remark because we've also got Wusher on the phone. He's, he's our next special guest. But... Like the Carlton National rivalry was a special one. How would you describe it? I'll, well, I'll, I'll tell you two quick stories that describe it from for me. So, I actually come from a mixed Carlton Essendon family. Dad's side was was Carlton. My mum's brother, so my uncle and all the cousins on that side are all Bombers, and so it's always been pretty fierce. Um, I was I, I went with my Essendon supporting uncle to that game in 1981 when uh, um, I think we came from 26 points down. Uh, and Neil Danaher got hold of Bruce Stall and the big kick paid against him. And that traumatised me as a 12-year-old. Uh, my uncle rubbing that in my face, I think, traumatised me for a long time. 
and uh, and probably um, was was the genesis of the of, of the interfamily rivalry. And just to put it in some to put it in some a more modern context, um, I, we were at the, the game in I think 2013, the one where uh, after the Melksham game, where we wake kicked seven and we'd been well in front in the last quarter, and you came over the top. The, the second game that year. Uh, we were again, I think, three or four goals up at three quarter time, and uh, the cup, the Essendon comeback started. And I said to my son, "Let's go." At the point we left, uh, we were still two goals up. <laughs> and Ben said, "Why are we going?" I said, "Ben, I know how this finishes." <laughs> <laughs> we're in the car. We're in the car driving home when Zaha Rakis kicked the goal. To, uh, I think the game had been tied and. You guys won by a goal with 30 seconds to go. And my son, who was, I think, about 11 at the time, looked at me and said, how did you know that was going to happen? I said, I just knew, Ben. I've been to many of these games. I just knew. I didn't want to to be there when it happened. (laughs) Well, Martin, thank you very much for coming on. We really appreciate it. You guys have done a a really great job thus far managing through this. the governor's done an enormous work for our for our game of AFL football, and uh, we're very very thankful for for that. So, thanks very much for coming on. Good luck over the next few weeks. Thanks for having me on, and good luck with the season, guys. Thanks, thanks, Martin. Okay, so Martin Bakula there, the Victorian Minister for Sport, joining us on working through it on this Wednesday afternoon. Now, I know the next guest is uh, one that everyone is looking forward to chatting to, and and we can do that by giving us a call on one three hundred six five two nine two seven shortly. I speak of the coach of the Essendon Football Club, John Worsfold. He'll join us next. But before we get there, um, just a reminder that uh, there are plenty of sentimental favourites to new content offerings. And that is what Don's Digital is all about on EssendonFC.com.au. Keeping you engaged, enlightened and entertained during the break. All you've got to do is go to the website EssendonFC.com.au, which is exactly what you're doing at the moment. One of the most popular things on the website is Adrian Dodoro's Dodcasts and the latest latest one is uh, involving Andrew McGrath, Essendon's first ever number one pick, and here's a little bit of that podcast. Just before we went live to air, I sent a text to Setterfield, McCluggage, and uh, Andrew McGrath, and I just said, boys, good luck. Uh, don't know how this is going to go, but uh, you'll find out in about 10 minutes. So they had no idea who we were picking, and I think it was good for them, for everyone, and for the integrity of the draft as well. But yeah, and then we called Andy out, and he was, and look, it was a complete and utter surprise to him and to Mike and Sandy, his parents, because they had no idea. And uh, it, I think it's something that we did really well, and I think it, it added to uh, a very, very special moment for his life and his career. Andrew McGarra now is uh, one of Essendon's star players and uh, I know all Essendon fans love watching him play every weekend. Now it is time. And we're going to go to James Hurd here to introduce our feature guest. We'll take some calls shortly, one three hundred six five two nine two seven. 927 Text message 0416905052. There's already literally scores of them that have come through from Essendon fans uh, this afternoon. But James, over to you. Uh, thanks, Whitey and uh, John Worsfold. How are you? Do we find you uh, in the backyard touching up on your uh, TikTok uh, performance or, or just in the lounge room? Are you saying that it needs touching up, James? <laughs> well, do you want me to go into it? or? or... <laughs> no, I've had plenty of feedback. I've, uh, so put it this way, no, I'm not touching it up and, and it won't be uh, brought out again. So, uh, But it was good fun. Good fun doing it with my daughter and it's obviously... Um, you know, just 
different time. So I uh, thought I was, I was happy to buy into building up a little bit of, um, you know, promotional activity around the Anzac Day game that wasn't going to happen. So um, hopefully it did go some way to showing that we were still committing and contributing to uh, the memory of our Anzacs in some way. Oh, if you need some help with um, dance moves, we'll show you. you can um, always always happy to provide some choreography. You, you know that I'm very skilled. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, Joe, with, uh, your dance moves did get the occasional one in team meetings, didn't they? <laughs> Just occasionally. They still carried on there, Will. That's that's impressive, Joe. Um, John, thank you for giving us your time. Um, I've got a, I suppose the, the question from my perspective is is your time at Essendon. Um, you know, you've come to the club in really in, in terrible times, really the club at the end of 2015 was at lowest ebb. And, and, and what I'd like to dig into is, is what you think your, your proudest moment has been there. Because from my perspective, you took over the club, as I said, the lowest ebb. You've taken the club through 2016 when you, know, you lost you know, 10 of the 12 of your best players, winning finals or you know, getting to the finals taking it and, and rebranding a club along with um, the administration of a club. How, how have you found that? And, and if you you to take us through the, the proudest moment or, or what you thought has been your greatest success, because from the outside, I think that it's been a little bit um, underestimated what a job you've done um, to get the club to where it is now, sort of four or five years um, after you've, you, you took over the coaching role. Yeah, look, it's um, obviously what I'm proud of is being part of, of the club, um, not necessarily rebranding itself, but working back from, from where it was, working through the challenges of um, you know, supporting not only the, um, for me more so, the, the 12 currently listed players that were suspended, but from the club's perspective, supporting the 34 players that were impacted, but um, through that period. Um, but while doing that, focusing on the job at hand, which was preparing a team to actually take the field and play. So, yeah, if you can imagine that um, in January and February of 2016, we were looking for uh, top-up players to come onto our list and, and help us get a team on the park. And uh, and there were pretty strict guidelines around which you know who we could add onto our list. Generally, they had to be retired players um, or players that had been delisted from clubs. So pretty much players that were no longer deemed you know, valuable enough to stay on other clubs' lists. Uh, we were seeking those guys, and we obviously looked for one guys that were sound enough to be able to get through games of footy, but that would contribute through their uh, their character as well. And I think we did a pretty good job with that. Um, so working through a year where we, uh, we only won the three games in 2016, but we made big inroads into um, you know, building... Um, the squad that we, we still had there, some of the young players that got opportunities, players like Anthony McDonald, Zip and Woody, and um, certainly Arazio Fantasia, who got more regular games and um, have become really top-line players for the Essendon Football Club. So uh, I think that year, um, just being able to stay positive and make it a real positive and, and uh, enjoyable environment for the guys that were there to, to grow their own football and for the club to put the building blocks in place to rebound and so we've seen the club you know really up until um this current crisis that we've all hit um the club were really back in really strong shape uh, financially and um with a strong vision of the new premises that that have been um 
been put together and um, the playing list was coming together really well. So, um, yeah, I'm really proud that, that, you know, when I finish at the Essendon Football Club, I'll certainly feel like uh, it's in really good shape going forward to be successful. And do you think that's been underestimated? I mean... You know, you're a super competitive person. You know, obviously won premierships as a player at West Coast, coached West Coast to a, a premiership. Do you think that's been underestimated in in your in your uh, legacy? What a job you're able to do to to not only get the club through that year, but then I suppose rebound it into a, a finals year a couple of years later. Yeah, look, <coughs> to make I certainly believe to have. Um, brought the players back in off a year out of footy and bring them back into the fold and, and have us going well enough to make the top eight was, uh, was a remarkable effort from everyone involved. Um, now, we, we bowed out in the finals, but uh, just the finish in that top eight, I thought, um, was pretty special. Um, but we all get measured, ultimately, on, on winning finals and, and we all aim to win premierships. So... That's certainly what my aim was to come to Essendon and get the club in a position to uh, to win a premiership as quickly as possible. And um, you know, when the when the suspensions when I started Essendon, I wasn't planning on the suspensions uh, coming to fruition. So that obviously changed all the the expectations of the next few years. And um, you know, I'll be as proud as anyone if I can see Essendon really start to. Um, produce on the field and, and get right up in that top four and challenge for a flag in the next few years uh, with everything we've put together. But in terms of has it been undervalued, uh, I think internally with the club, uh, you know, as I said, I'm really proud of uh, the small part that I've played as part of a team that worked hard for the footy club to get it back going and you know Xavier leads that and uh, you know I think everyone's just done a remarkable um, job in getting the club back to where it is now and, uh, and in a position to to um, survive this crisis because if we didn't get it right back in 2016 then there's every chance this crisis could have been um, you know, really drastic outcome for the footy club. So to have been in a position and a strong and sound enough position to, to be able to say to the AFL right now that we're going to try and stand alone and not go in um, and become an assisted club is quite remarkable. Uh, well, she, um, you talk talk about you know the, the small small part that you, you play, but but you were the the head of you know like the, the head coach, um, you know in, in, a, in a really really tumultuous time. I remember you know we we'd only sort of just started our, uh, the relationship as a, a, a player and coach, but it it got flipped on its head you know really dramatically, and you're able to hold the the, the club and and. Um, together, but also for it to prosper. I mean, your experience as a coach now where you've been, you've dealt with, you know, things that, that took place in West Coast that were obviously, you know, difficult and challenging. You came through um, in, into Adelaide at a really difficult time to, to lend a hand and, and to be there and involved. And now for the second time at Essendon, I mean, it's been um, a lot of interruptions in terms of your, your coaching career. I just, I'm just wondering, like, the experiences that you've had along the way, do you, how are you then being able to impart that on these the guys who are currently faced with such uncertainty um, in the in the current moment, and and not only just not players but also staff and and support staff and their families? Yeah, well, this is certainly a, a different sort of crisis than than any of the others that I've been involved in, and and this has been just so widespread it's, it's impacted everyone. Some of the other uh, crises that I've 
I've been involved in have been a, a little bit more directed where we can um, work with a tighter group and, and get through it. But ultimately, it's the same. It's um, just the communication around why the current situation is like it is, and uh, and then and then where do we want to be in twelve months or in two years or three years time, and what are we going to start to put in place to to get to that position? So, you know, I've always been. Uh, Heavily, um, all my coaching has been around looking in the future and planning to to get to a place, and uh, that's been no different with um, with this current situation. It's uh, we've got a, we've got certain parameters we have to deal with. Obviously, the the financial constraints that are going to hit the football club are going to be pretty massive, but we have to just work and make the best possible decisions about where we want the club to be uh, within these constraints that we're going to face. Um, so really, it's just communicating that, making the decisions that you have to make um, that uh, that you can't shy away from, and clearly communicating those decisions and, and focusing on the new systems that you need in place to keep growing and going forward. Um, now, in this situation, every club's facing um, the same uh, challenges. Um, so you know, I feel as though we're we're really well situated to to come out of it strongly. One. Um, you know Xavier's strong uh, experience in working through these situations, as well as my own. Um, I think, as, as much as any club, we've got people at the at the footy club who um, probably knew, already had an idea about how we wanted to work our way through this. John, um, uh, now a more football uh, question. Obviously, a fantastic win um, against Freo in round one. Uh, probably six weeks till we, hopefully six weeks till the the, the boys start playing football again. Um, what what's what, what's going to change this year compared to last? What do you, I mean, you could see a little bit of what what the guys are working on in in, in the in round one. But you, you're confident with those changes you're able to make um, in the pre-season that you'll go a lot deeper into September than perhaps um, you did last year. Well, that's um, that's certainly what we're working towards. Uh, there was a couple of unknowns going into the start of the season. Obviously, one we had, you know, a few of our, our um, key players unavailable, with uh, obviously Dyson and Carl Hooker uh, and Hep out, James Stewart. So we um, we went in a little bit undermanned. This this uh, break in the season has given us the opportunity to say that hopefully those guys are going to get back and contribute in more games than they would have otherwise. So that that's potentially going to play into our hands and, and advantage us a little bit than it would have otherwise. Uh, but the the downside is that we uh, built a fair bit of momentum through the pre-season with a pretty carefully constructed program of implementing the new language and, and the new game style that, uh, that Blake and Ben were driving. And we've lost a lot of that momentum. So, you know, clubs that have been playing a certain game plan for two, three, four years um, they'll, they'll come back and not miss a beach, straight back into it. We'll, we'll potentially have to re-educate the players uh, to get them back to the same level they were at um, when the season went into shutdown. So there's there's some challenges there, but they're obviously not insurmountable, um, but it will have some impact. Always almost impossible to measure how much of an impact that will have. But um, overall, I think if we can keep our squad fit and healthy and available... Um, Potentially the type of season we're going to face may assist us as much as any other club in that uh, the court, the games will be a little bit shorter. Um, so with our speed, which is one of our key strengths, um, 
we should be able to really take it up the teams and, and not be too worried about uh, drop-offs uh, late in games and uh, try and use that to our advantage. So as we find out some of the um, whether there's extra players on the bench, again, we feel as though that may play more into our advantage with our list makeup than it would some other clubs. So there's uh, some pros and cons with, with the season to come, but um, suffice to say we're doing everything we can to you know, find... Um, all the avenues that are going to make sure we're performing at our absolute best. Okay, this is an opportunity now for Essendon fans, Bomber members, to get on the line and chat to John Worsfold. one three hundred six five two nine two seven 927 is the number. And uh, kindly, Essendon, uh, through Coles, are giving away vouchers up to $150 each if the callers are good enough. So one three hundred six five two nine two seven. There's a bit of a carrot for you if you want to have a chat to John Worsfold. You can also send a text message through on 0416 90 50 52. There have been a lot of those, and I'll try and feed a few of those in as we keep John on the line. But, John, before we go to calls, just a, a question to you. I guess on behalf of uh, of Essendon fans and members, what what has the Essendon membership meant to you, particularly through these, uh, these challenging times? You've Looked after a very big club in West Coast Essendon, also a big club. What what what, what sort of stands out for you? Yeah, look, one of the first things that stood out to me was the um, loyalty of the members. Um, you know, people introducing themselves to me, whether it was at a at a club event or um, or just at training, or even just in the uh, in the on the streets of Moody Ponds or Essendon. People would uh, introduce themselves and they were so proud to, when they introduced themselves, they had to add on how long they'd been a member. So it was like ingrained in their in their personality. So uh, they would introduce themselves and say, oh, and I've been a member for and up to 72 years, I think is the record of it. I've had someone coming and, um, and letting me know that. So whether it's 30 years, 40 years, 60 year members, uh, you know, the club that, when I left West Coast, they were... Um, maybe 26 years old, the, the, the club, in its, in its history. So to have members that have been that loyal and supportive of the footy club, you know, generational members, which West Coast are just starting to, uh, to probably get now, um, that was just, you know, inspiring, really. It uh, really showed me that um, we've got to do a good job for these people. It's, uh, it's so much part of their life. It means so much to them and that they are part of, they are a real part of the Essendon Football Club. Um, you know, they've been involved in the club longer than any current player, any current um, employee at the footy club. These people have been members and, and supporters of the club. So uh, that loyalty really stood out. And, um, you know, even their, their passion to say that they had been derided by opposition supporters for a while, uh, but they copped that on the chin and, you know, didn't back down to saying we're, not, we're never going to be embarrassed to... Uh, Support the Essendon Footy Club. We're going to stick with it. We're uh, going to come out of this strong, and, and um, you know they've shown that with the club getting a record membership last season. Well, talking about passionate fans, to start the calls off on one three hundred six five two nine two seven, these questions are meant to be for John Worsfold, but this one is actually for Xavier Campbell. Xavier, this caller is Rosanna, and she is calling us live from New York where it's about 3 o'clock in the morning. Rosanna, welcome to Working Through It. Hi, guys. Thanks for doing this. No problems at all. What, what's your question? Um, yeah, so Xavier, I was just 
wondering, last month there were talks about Essendon potentially playing GWS in the U.S. in future. So given the current circumstances, are you still considering that opportunity? Like, just so I have some hope. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for calling in. Thanks for getting up so early. This is uh, Job's second favourite city in the world. He spent so much time over there. But... um, (laughs) We, de- we definitely are. Like clearly, um, clearly, we need to revisit our strategy and model and how we're going to sort of look at executing that moving forward. One area that we're heavily dependent on when, with respect to the, the potential to play in the US is working with the International Cricket Council and the establishment of appropriate venues um, in the US. Like that is, that is a part where uh, there is a couple under construction right now in California. Now, we haven't got an official update. We've got a call tomorrow, Friday morning, what's that, not tomorrow morning, next morning, to discuss where that's at, um, where we'll be talking one of the key people from there. So um, hopefully it hasn't been too delayed because of this. Uh, we definitely still feel passionately about the principles with which we made that decision. It's a big market, um, sports-loving market. There's a lot of synergies, a lot of opportunity, and GWS is still keen. So it's very much still on the radar, but we still need to work through it with more detail over the next um, the next sort of six months, I'd imagine. Fantastic, Rosanna. Thank you very much for your call. So you get up in the middle of the night and watch the Bombers play? I do. So I have my international membership. So I have Watch AFL. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I had to stay up for this because, like, how often do you get to talk to the CEO and, like, legends of your club? Um, I did have a question for Job, though, if that was okay. Go for it. Yeah, um, well, just you've had quite the career, so I was just wondering personally, like, what time in your career did you enjoy the most, like a year or a period? Um, I enjoyed my year off in 2016, <laughs> in retrospect. <laughs> <laughs> but I, look, the, the thing that um, I miss most now is the, the time that I spent, you know, with the teammates and, and in the uh, – the locker rooms and um, I remember, you know, like I felt like we were really building a really strong group that was potential to challenge, um, you know, deep into finals and and had the, um, I guess, the framework of a really strong side, you know, in that 2000, from 2011 onwards, really, I felt like we were building a a squad. So that was probably my most um, enjoyable time was, um, you know, that 2011, 12, 13, that period was, um, you know, when I look back at it, I thought we were, that was the best team that I'd, I'd, I'd played with and, and I was older and I could appreciate a bit more. And when you're young, you just sort of, you're there and you're happy and you're enjoying playing. And the longer you get, the real, the more you realise how difficult it is to, to get there. And, and I suppose that was, um, when I look back, I think, oh, that was the time I probably enjoyed the most. Fantastic, Rosanna. Thanks very much uh, for joining us all the way from New York. So from New York, we now go to Craigieburn, and Zook's given us a call and wants to chat to, to John Worsfold and the team. Zook, good uh, good afternoon to you. G'day, guys. How are you? Loving the podcast. It's awesome. Yeah, um, hi to everybody. Uh, you know, Walsh, I just one question, mate, I really, really want to know, and um, if everything goes well... Do you think we can win the flag this year, or do you think we're maybe still one year away? Yeah, well, that's a, I always think we can win the flag, yeah. Who knows um, what happens with other clubs, uh, availability of players, how this season's going to play, play out, how everyone's going to adapt to being in hubs, playing off short breaks. Uh, it's given every club the opportunity. There's, there's obviously a few clubs that, uh, when you look at their list, 
um, their makeup and the, the age and experience demographic, and obviously past form over the last few years, they deserve to be favourites to be in the grand final or in the top four of the ladder. And Essendon aren't really listed in that group as such yet. So we've got a bit of work to do to prove that we're worthy of being seen as a top four team. And that's when you're really in the hunt to win a flag. Um, so our aim is to try and certainly show that uh, we're closing that gap and, and closing in on that top four crew. Uh, and if you can do that and finish, you know, especially in the top six in a season like this season is going to be, um, I think it's going to be everyone's in it in the, in the finals. Everyone's going to be a chance to win it. So that's our aim. But in saying that, I think our squad is going to um, grow and get better uh, over the next couple of years. Um, as some of our star young players move into their you know, peak years, we've got a, quite a few players that are um, you know, a year or two off being at their best and providing some of our really experienced gun players like Hurls and Hooksy and, uh, well, Zarakis and these guys maintain their form, that means we're going to be a better team as, as McGrath and Parrish and Redmond and these guys um, naturally improve their game. They are talented enough to become real stars of the game. They're going to move into those years um, starting from now. So, yeah, I think um, it'd be nice to think we're going to be right in the mix this year uh, and definitely next year and the year after going forward, I think uh, the club's going to keep growing. Well done, Zook. Uh, good question. Uh, hang on the line and we might uh, get a Coles voucher out to you. That was a good question. John, there's plenty of uh, text messages coming through. One, which is a bit of an obvious one, but I think it's a good to get an update at the same time, just around Joe Danaher and the, the, the gap in the season that we've got at the moment. What an advantage is that going to be for not only Joe, but for Essendon? And also, what role do you think he'll play when he does come back? Yeah, well... Obviously, first of all, our, our aim is to get Joe in a position where he's over this injury completely. It doesn't flare up again and his uh, footy career recommences and he can reach the potential that we know he's got. He's certainly shown glimpses of, of being a star player. Um, so that's really our aim. Um, and I would expect that when he's in that position, he'll play mainly as a key forward. He he may go on ball occasionally as uh, around the ground ruckman where he, he does impact games. He's... Uh, clever enough to find the ball and, and get it going forward for us. But generally, he'll be one of those tall targets uh, forward for us. And, um, you know, the way that we're setting up to play the game now, I think it'll suit Joe more than ever. Um, so when we get him back out on the park and, uh, you know, get the get the rustiness out, it's going to be hard to see how he... Uh, basically, his only footy he may play this year will be at AFL level. He may not get the opportunity to... to play at a lower level just to uh, get his touch right. So um, it may take a month of actual playing footy for Joe to start to uh, get his rhythm going. Um, but the, the key thing is get him strong enough um, to make sure that this injury isn't ever going to flare up again and he can, uh, as I said, continue on his um, on his career, which is going to be a wonderful career. And Our aim is that it's going to be a wonderful career for the Essendon Footy Club. One three hundred six five two nine two seven. If you want to chat to John Worsfold or any of the guys on the podcast this afternoon, text message oh four one six ninety fifty fifty two. And I've got to say, there is so many to get through. I'm going to try and get to as many as I can and kind of paraphrase them a little bit and collect some together. Um, one here is uh, just a question about 
you kind of answered this, but the improvement required. You talked about the depth maybe from some of the uh, the younger players coming through to get to the next level, but just maybe a couple of other things that you might need to improve to get into that top four. Yeah, well, the areas that we want to improve on is our efficiency as we go inside our forward, forward 50. There's not, a, there's not a big difference between most teams in terms of the number of entries inside, inside your forward 50. The teams that can be really efficient and uh, make the most of those inside 50 entries to get a score on the board as opposed to giving the, the opposition the chance to rebound from there and score at the other end. So that's something we've been working pretty hard on. And, uh, you know, having Dev, Devin Smith back out on the park and getting Horatio Fantasia back to uh, his best form, um, those things are certainly going to help. And if, if Joey gets back out there, um, that's going to help us as well in that regard. So there's, there's that. There's uh, Obviously, when, when I touched on the younger players um, uh, just growing into becoming the, the great players that we're, um, we're hoping they're all going to become, um, is just the chemistry of playing together. You know, the best teams I played in were really when I was playing alongside guys, I just knew which way they were going to turn. I knew how they were going to react in any given uh, contest they were going into, whether, you know, a one-on-one contest, I knew some teammates would try and mark the ball, other teammates would just spoil it towards the boundary line, and you would adjust your position according to how well you knew your teammates. Um, So, you know, we're a fairly young group in terms of the number of games that we've played together, so... When, uh, when we see Stringer and Danaher together in the forward line for 20-odd games in a row, uh, with Fantasia and McDonald, Pippen, Woody and, and, and Devin Smith up there, we're going to um, start to see how well it can really function. Um, so that's the next part of it, is to not only build individual players up to, uh, to becoming the best player they can be, but build the chemistry so that um, you know Mason Redmond and Adam Saad and Michael Hurley know each other you know, inside out in the way that they're going to support each other in the back half. And um, those things do make a big difference. Uh, so that, that's something that we're working on. And I also touched on the fact that it's a relatively, some parts of our game plan are fairly new and, and different for the players. And they've worked their backsides off to um, learn it quickly over, over one summer. And I think they've done a wonderful job both learning it, but also in the way it's been coached by the coaches. And uh, they're only going to get better at playing this style of footy as they really start to understand it and become just more natural and second nature for them as opposed to thinking, um, you know, how are we meant to be moving the ball in this situation? Um, so that's where time, that only takes time. Um, you can't rush that and you've got to be patient with that. But that's why I believe Essendon will be a better club, a better footy team next year um, and, and possibly the year after as well. John, one of the uh, issues that has come up, and Nathan Buckley, I think, broached it this morning on radio, was around if you know, potentially players, um, the mental uh, effect it's going to have on players if we do go, if the clubs do go into hubs. What would your view be if you know five players with young families come to you and said, look, John, we, we just can't go. I mean, we, 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 we've got to support our wives, our kids. It's just something that we, we don't feel comfortable with. How do you handle that? One, maybe two, maybe okay. But if you've got a, a group of five or six, how would you handle that from the a coaching and club point of view? Well, this is one of the things that might play into uh, into our favour is that we've only got one player with children, young children. Um, so all the others are going to be making up stories. They're going to miss their dog or uh, miss their partner. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, 
we've got a squad that uh, isn't isn't reproducing very much at the moment. So, um, look, we would deal with that by one communicating. Uh, this is how it's going to look. This is um, how we think it's going to work. But understand, this has never been done, and there's going to be challenges as we go. So, you know, what I've seen in the past, I've uh, recruited kids from interstate that have been gung-ho about all I want to do is get out of my hometown, relocate. It's going to be so good for my footy. That's, this is a thing I need. I need to get away from my mates and focus on my footy 100%. They're the guys that are four weeks later are more homesick than anyone else. Uh, and the guys that you look and say, geez, they're coming from a tight-knit family here. They're going to really struggle to break away. have have uh, adapted to being away from family way better. So... You can't really pick how it's going to feel one week in, two weeks in, or, or a month in, but we need to ha- have the avenues open to be able to communicate and talk and players to feel comfortable with, you know, not feel like they're letting anyone down or being weak if, if they go and talk to someone about uh, struggling due to homesickness, missing their family, whatever it may be. Um, we'll address all those things um, as we go, but we are certainly aware that it will hit us. We won't be able to really predict who will feel that way um, or when they'll feel that way, but uh, but there will be times when they that will arise and we'll just talk through it. And Sometimes we may be able to just uh, shift things a little bit where they're still comfortable to stay and play um, and there'll be other times when they say, I don't think I'm going to mentally be on top of my game unless I get home for uh, a short period and, and uh, reconnect with my family. So... Yeah, it's such an unknown, but we will support the players uh, 100%. One of the areas we've got young coaches who do have uh, young families and we'll be conscious of how that looks for them as well. So there will be some challenges uh, in whatever the situation looks like um, and we'll just prepare and support everyone in, in working through those. And, and Wusha, just a, a final one from me. Just um, Who were you sort of most excited to, to see um, run out and play. You know, like you, you get to watch players, you know, particularly progress through pre-seasons. You know, you guys, they arrive in October, and by the time February rides around, you think, God, this person's completely different to the one that I thought um, arrived. Was there someone? Is, is there someone that you think, oh, I was really, really looking forward to seeing how much they were going to elevate their game? Well, yeah, there was there was two guys uh, which have been fairly well publicised, and then they weren't first and second year players, but Andy McGrath and Darcy Parrish, um, who, you know, are going to be uh, very, very good midfielders for the Essendon Footy Club, and they haven't spent a lot of time in the actual midfield uh, up to this point in their career, um, but I was really excited about the opportunities that they were going to get, spending more time going through playing on ball and um, supporting those more mature midfielders through there, uh, but you know, really, they've got the opportunity to step up and become A-grade midfielders. And, you know, they both had wonderful pre-seasons, um, had done a mountain of work and looked like, uh, you know, they were going to be in some very solid seasons for us. So that's still what I'm really keen to see um, as, as we hit the ground running again in uh, hopefully in a six or eight weeks' time. Um, really keen to see those guys back in action. Okay, guys, uh, Chris from East Keylor has uh, given us a call, and it's, uh, it's a good question, this one from Chris. Chris, uh, far away. Yeah, hi, hi guys. Um, this question's for Wusha. I uh, just wanted to know, um, a lot's been said about the challenges players will face in the hub-type scenario. 
Uh, personally, what do you think will be your biggest challenge, challenges you face as a coach, and also um, coaching the team? What are the challenges you think will um, be in place for you? Yeah, look, a few of the challenges we've spoken about. One, we don't know uh, what our coaching structure will look like in the hub, um, how many coaches we're allowed to have there. So, one, how we actually coach the group, um, how we divvy up the work between who's available, um, how we review games. If they're, if they're games off, um, if you're playing a game every five days, how do you learn from that? Because we are still in that position where we're learning about how well the guys are adapting to a new game plan. Um, other clubs, you know, a Richmond wouldn't have to review too much because they, uh, they've been playing that way for a number of years. Um, so we'll have to work out exactly what balance we have from just preparing, recovering from the game and then the quick preparation ready to play the next opposition versus educating the players uh, about some of the, the things we're still working on and learning. Um, and So they're the, they're the key things, but which players can back up off five days if, uh, if you have three or four games in a uh, 15 to 20 day period, um, how well do you manage your players? Uh, which players can play long minutes in those games? Which players might need a week off somewhere? Uh, have we got the players to replace them and, and not miss, not lose momentum? Um, so these things are, are going to be, I think, uh, serious considerations when we get back going where after uh, three games, rapid fire in succession, do you rest eight or nine players and bring fresh guys in for the next week or two um, before you reload again? And Do you manage that against different opposition, um, try and read what they're going to do? Uh, so we don't know what the fixture is yet. We don't know where we're going to be based and what the grounds look like, but uh, there's some of the challenges that, uh, that we'll face as a, as a coaching group going forward. Um, and my understanding is there won't be a lot of flexibility in a, in a training program if you're in a hub situation with a lot of other clubs and sharing potentially sharing gym facilities. You'll be allocated time where your club's got the gym or your club's got the training ground. Uh, so we'll have to be very flexible in how we want to um, progress and, and prepare the team to play, um, understanding some of the limitations that will be on us. John, uh, unfortunately, we've run out of time. We could listen to you talk all day about what's going to come and, and how the hub structure is going to play. But um, firstly, thank you for your time. Uh, good luck over the next uh, four to five months. I think every Essendon supporter is intrigued by what's about to happen, but wishes you all the luck. And, and, and from me personally, congratulations on the job you have done over the past uh, five years. I think you've handled yourself magnificently and created, uh, well not created but you know, put our club back in a position where we can be more than competitive again and um, yeah, something to be very proud of so well done and uh, thanks for coming on the show uh, My pleasure, thanks guys thanks for your help through this period as well sounds like it's going brilliant so um, all in it together and we'll come out of it strong eh? Terrific. Thanks Josh Fantastic, John Wersold, the coach of the Essendon Football Club joining us, we tried to get to as many texts as we could. A lot of those texts came, you were sort of answering those as you went along, so we're trying to get as much interaction as possible. Make sure you hang on the line, Chris, because I think your question absolutely deserves a Coles voucher. We'll sort of reflect a little bit more on what John said shortly with the guys, but now is the moment for the Coles mighty moment for the week, and we go back to 2001 and arguably the greatest mark of all time. Lalic doing well to Heffernan, second time he's taken out in a minute, Lucas Redder best, wrong side for him, hooks a ball, what a ball, sensational, he's taken the wind out of him.
just threw himself at it and it stuck. Joe Mercedes just looked at the scoreboard and said, I want to see it again. I'll tell you what, I look at Chris Terrence looking at the scoreboard and saying, I might have lost the car. That, oh. that is it. That is it. What? Unbelievable, Mark. <laughs> that is going to be on bars and... That's going to be in the on pub wall for the next hundred years, that side on shot. I'll tell you how good it is. It'll be on CNN. <laughs> Unbelievable. That certainly was a Coles mighty moment. Uh, two extraordinary moments, really. Scott Lucas kicking on his right foot and then the mark from Gary Moorcroft. Hurdy, what can you remember of uh, that mark from Gary Moorcroft? Yeah, it was against the Western Bulldogs, I'm pretty sure. Oh, look, an amazing um, mark by Gary, and, but it wasn't surprising because Gaz had an incredible leap. And um, Mark Harvey, as assistant coach, used to take the marking bag out there at the end of training. And, and your likely suspects, you know, Lloydie, McCurry, Lucas, these guys would go and take some pretty amazing marks on Harves' back. But uh, Gary used to take some sensational grabs. And uh, he was a very, very cheeky man out in the ground. But, um, you know, I, I, look, one of the best marks I've ever seen um, by, by a mile. But um, it also hurt his career a bit from memory. I think um, when he landed, he, he hurt his back or his hip and, and really didn't... That, that sort of troubled him for the rest of his career from memory. But, um, you know, Premiership play at the Bombers in 2000, fantastic bloke. And, uh, yeah, he deserved to have mark of the year or potentially mark of the century with that mark. Yeah, it was uh, quite amazing, wasn't it? Uh, Joe, have you seen a better mark over your um, time playing or, or watching? Um, no, I don't think so. I think, for, well, in terms of, like, the elevation and, and how quickly it got up and, um, you know, that iconic shot, that side shot of his body sort of contorted the direction that it was. Um, and I can echo um, Hurdy's sentiments about um, Gary being um, cheeky on the field. Uh, I remember in my second year playing in the reserves, uh, you, you certainly knew where he was, and, and and he gave you some strong feedback if he felt like he didn't give the ball in a position where he could <laughs> he could take it off you. And, um, and so it was, a, it was always a, a good experience. And he went on to have a very successful um, career post footy in local leagues as well. And I think he ended up playing some games with his son actually in the same team. I remember seeing it. So um, you know, he was a, a fantastic Essendon player. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another thing that is uh, a big part of uh, the Essendon website is uh, is on the couch, and we're seeing plenty of reflections of uh, the 2000 Premiership particularly, and uh, we've got to play a little bit of Dustin Fletcher and his thoughts on the 2000 AFL Grand Final win. My main memory, I think, was, was probably Dean Wallace, who I was obviously playing next to uh, in the back line, and um, we had a pretty strong back line in you know, Dean Solomon and Mark Johnson, so... But I remember Dean Wallace um, saying to me all through the week and he, he said on game day, he said to me, if things get a bit hot in the kitchen, um, you won't have to worry about me. And I didn't really know what he was talking about. And I said, oh, what do you mean by, by that? And he said, you know, you know, if push comes to shove, um, you know, I'll be the first one in there. And um, I remember, I think it was early in the game, um, David Schwartz, Wally and Schwartz are having a bit of a, a, bit of a go at it in the goal square. And... I think by somehow um, Wally actually sort of poked him in the eye. And I remember Wally sort of, I was about to take the kick in and Wally just looked at me and sort of, he gave me a wink and said, uh, things are going to be right. So um, from that time onwards, you know, playing with guys like, you know, Solly, you know, Dean Wallace and, and Mark Johnson, Damien Hardwick in that back line, I thought we were a pretty strong unit. And um, 
you know, things got a bit out of hand at times. I think Brad Green might have caught one and, you know, Wally was always in there. So um, that was my moment, only a small little moment, I suppose, but um, one that gave me the confidence to, um, to play out. And if something was going to go down, um, he was going to be there for me. So that uh, is Dustin Fletcher. It's interesting, Hurdy, just listening to that and comments that Kevin Sheedy made to us about having those those tough players, those enforcers, and being a bit bit mean and nasty when required. Uh, Essendon's had a few of those over the time, and they've been really positive influences on the footy club. What was it like for you when you had those guys sort of helping support you uh, when Essendon was at its strongest? Oh, look, the great thing about uh, that, that team of that era was that it was a very skillful team, it was a very hard-working team, and you know, obviously had some very talented players, but it, it was an extremely tough and hard team. And um, you know, uh, Fletcher's gone through it, but with Dean Wallace, Dean Solomon, Mark, um, Mark Johnson, Jason Johnson, Fletch himself, um, Sean Wellman, you, you just felt safe out on the ground. You know, even um, Gary Moorcroft, who could handle himself pretty well when he needed to safe out on the ground at any stages and yeah extremely talented team but um as tough as it was talented and uh dean wallace probably stood head and shoulders above them all in that respect and certainly you know when you'd run past a pack and wally'd wink at you your man seemed to end up on the ground or on his backside <laughs> and he um he was a fantastic teammate to have and and certainly helped us uh win that premiership and also 93 as well who was the toughest player that you had joe in your era that looked after you on the field? Um, well, I, pl- I played, um, you know, younger with, um, you know, Spike and um, and Solly. And I, I remember, um, you know, one of my favourite football stories um, is uh, Mark McVeigh's on top of Jonathan Brown and um, they're wrestling on the ground. And, um, you know, Sp- Spike was a fiery character and um, Jonathan Brown said to him, McVeigh, I'm going to eat you today. And um, Spike... Quick as quick as a flash replied, "Are you going to use the same bowl that you used to cut your hair with, Brownie?" Anyone who knows Brownie in the early days, he um, wasn't a lot of variety to the hairstyle that was going on. A very simple cut. The Spike, it was a very good retort from Spike at the bottom of a pack. So uh, I enjoyed spending time with him on the ground. Ah, very good, very good. Now before we get the the final comments. Um, We've got to play this. Uh, it's your call from home presented by Amart, and it does involve Joe Watson, and the winner this week is Hamish Selberg. And there's the boundary throw in taken by Hill. Beautiful little hand pass to Watson. Watson busts through a tackle. Soon from the boundary line, Watson! How about that for a goal? Joe Watson with an Anzac Day classic. Oh, Joby! Bit of uh, professionalism about that one. Oh, it's almost a Coles voucher, I think. Uh, that one, if we can get in touch with it, <laughs> maybe an Amart couch. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Oh, I enjoyed that. Sorry, yeah. Xavier, I shouldn't have probably put that uh, pressure on you. Okay, it's time for the the final comments. Um, and uh, I guess there's a bit to get through, and it's a bit to probably reflect back on as well with uh, some of the comments that uh, John Worsfold made to us a little bit earlier on. Away you go, guys. Oh, first, I just want to say a big shout-out to the Red Sash, who's uh, in hospital. A lot of our listeners will know who the Red Sash is. I'd be a bit coded, but he's in hospital, so uh, hopefully you, you get well, Sash. But, um, look, I thought John was terrific, guys. Just um, I would have liked to have had him more just talking about the structure of the hubs. And, and from a coaching perspective, to, the fact that, you know, for example, clubs are going to get two hours to, to train on the track, they're going to get two hours in the gym, Joe... 
you, you are going to go mad with boredom, surely. I mean, if you're in these hubs and you're in there all day, the one thing that I used to struggle with as a player, it, we'd go the day before a game, that was fine, play the stayed overnight, play the game, but after that, it'd drive you mad, all your other teammates after a while. Yeah, it, it is, it, when you when you think about the like the the logistics and how it's actually going to work, it's going to be really challenging for for all the players, all the staff. Um, in these times. But I think that the pertinent thing to remember is it, it is challenging for everyone in society. And I think we all have to be really flexible with um, how we're operating it. Um, understand that there is uh, there is nothing, there is a new normal now, you know, and, and this it may not last um, for a long period of time, but we are going to have to be flexible and, and you, you are going to have to adapt. Um, and and I think it, it's the case for everyone. And, and no, it, it, I would have really struggled with it and I really would have found it difficult. But the if it meant playing or not playing, then I think you, I would have said, okay, well, I'm just going to have to suck it up because that's what's happening for everyone in society. And, and if it means that I can play, then I'll take my, you know, like I, I'll have to put up with it. It's interesting, Joe, because I wish that you had had that philosophy when I was coaching and training went 10 minutes longer than, than you hoped it went or that a meeting went 15 minutes longer than you went because you, you were so flexible around staying an extra half an hour for an extra session back in the, back in the day. So I'll I remember that. I wonder who I learned all that from. I wonder who I learned all that from, So to any current player out there who's played with Joe Watson, take his advice, not his actions, put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't deny that it's going to be really tough and I think it is I think it's going to be really really tough and all these things that they're going to have to adapt to but um, you know you sort of look at it from a balance does it mean that we get does it mean that we play that we produce a product um, and we're back in our jobs or does it mean that and I have to put up with this or do we do we not Um, and I think that everyone's faced with these circumstances in society there is not like the the status quo doesn't exist for anyone um, anymore, and and we all are going to have to be flexible to to prosper and and to get through it. We're yeah, at a point as well on. where clearly you know these two parties, the AFL and the AFLPA, are now in discussions, and they they're going to work through it, and they are going to get to a point where the players have an appropriate platform to raise their concerns. Um, for the AFL to truly understand the perspective of the players and, and, and vice versa. And that's clearly, we're right at the start of that process and we've still got a, 10 days before we need to get to a point where you know we, we're going to take greater advice from the experts, um, we'll get greater support, get greater clarity. So I, I feel really confident that the league and the AFLPA will be able to reach a position that appropriately caters for all. I, I genuinely feel like that. And just in the same way that the, the two parties have worked through you know, whether we play round one, when we suspend, you know, suspended the season, uh, and now the return to play piece. So, it's nuanced. It's difficult. It's nothing is ever perfect in times like this. And Joe, I think your point about the broader society. I mean, geez, people are finding really complex and difficult. Like, in, you know, you've got to feel for those people, and um, and and we are going through the same challenges here. But um, I reckon, by and large, we're in a pretty good position. I think so, Xavier. I just want to make a um, a special shout-out to a couple of um, special Essendon uh, members, um, Maureen and Graeme Sudwick. Uh, They were 
nominated as being uh, fantastic community people um, in the, the Pakenham area. And Maureen recently had open heart surgery and, and she's recovering well. Um, and I just wanted to say thank you for all your support and, and um, loyalty to the football club. And we hope you make a speedy recovery, um, Maureen. So um, thank you for listening and, and um, hopefully you, you back out in, in good health soon. All right, so is that pretty much it? Any more final comments or are we pretty much done? No, I'd just say, Whitey, I think you can download the app. You know, stick to our social distancing. I think society's done such a great job um, and we know that uh, we want to get back to as close to normal as we can get to and and that discipline that we've shown, I genuinely feel proud of. When I look at our our statistics versus the rest of the world and see what we're doing, like we've we've done such a great job and then to the government officials to everyone in the way they're managing like it's been it's been brilliant but let's not take the foot off the pedal let's let's keep going because um, it will present some really good opportunities for us to rebound quickly as a society which is important all right uh, and just uh, finally from this end as i said there's been so many text messages that is that have come through uh, trisha has texted in uh, and uh, she wanted to shout out to a friend uh, an Essendon member who's doing it tough uh, Kath Gibbons, so a shout-out to, to Kath. Uh, I hope things are going well. We might try and maybe even chase that up, uh, Xavier, throughout the course of the week as well, ahead of uh, next week's program. And, and again, also, with that uh, call, if you want to get on uh, your call from home, thanks to Waymart, Darcy Parrish uh, and his goal back in 2016 is the latest one, so get involved in that as well. Thanks, guys. A day-night affair. We started in the daylight. Now we look outside. It's almost dark. Um, we'll do it all again next week. Thanks, Whitey. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. James Hurd, Joe Watson, and also Xavier Campbell. That's it from us. So we hope you've enjoyed the program. Thanks for all your interactions uh, with John Worsfold on the line. And as I said, we'll do it all again next week. Enjoy the rest of your week.